There is so much fake news online and even more about health conditions. Aside from people talking about their star signs, fake news about health has become one of my biggest pet peeves. To be honest, it's not always easy telling the difference. I'm here to help. Welcome to Debunking Medical Myths with Dr. Diggy. In every episode, I'm joined by a health professional to chat about these issues. Fake medical news isn't just silly, it's dangerous. So I hope you learn something useful and stay safe. So in this episode, I explore some of the misconceptions behind mental health and therapy with Dr. Sula Windgassen. She's an NHS health psychologist experienced in mindfulness, CBT, and a published author who completed her PhD focusing on the use of CBT in treating patients with IBS. She has an incredibly engaging Instagram page where she goes by at the health psychologist. Definitely worth checking out. I'm very excited to gain her insights into the barriers of mental health and how patients with long-term conditions can also be at risk of developing anxiety or depression. As I do in every episode I, um, of the podcast, I have like true or trash questions or statements. Mm-hmm. And I think it'll be really good to go through some of these. And then after going through some of these, we'll go, we'll talk, I want to talk a little bit about your, um, your experiences with therapy um, and and also then to talk about therapy for and mental health in pe- in people with a uh, long term health conditions like this um stroke or um COPD and even diabetes. So I think it'll be great to just to hear to, to discuss that a bit later. Yeah. But let's go. Let's start with these true or trash statements. And if you have after we've gone through them, if you have any other random things you've heard, yeah. <laughs> excuse me, random things you heard people say. Just let me know because I think it's you probably have heard loads more than these ones as well, so it'd be good to discuss them. Yeah. Um, okay, so the first one is mental health problems are rare, true or trash? Yeah, trash. <laughs> Definitely trash. I think it's <laughs> one in four is the statistic, isn't it? One in four of us. Um, yeah. yeah. And people feel so, I feel like because people think it's, I think it's because of there's a taboo related to it. Um, I think things are better now, but um, because of but because of that, people think, oh, it's just a few people. I'm not at risk. Oh, it doesn't happen in our family. That kind of thing. Um, people really don't understand that actually one in four is yeah, and and in some places obviously it could be higher. Absolutely, and I think I think you know mental health is just a funny term isn't it because um mm. it's you know mental health is a continuum and I think I often hear people say I don't have mental health but everyone has mental health um it's yeah. just where you are on that continuum of it you know feeling um like you're suffering with some difficulties there or you know generally are fine but I think also you know people kind of dismiss where Mm -hmm. our mental health is being impacted if you're feeling stressed you know that is an experience of you know mental health not necessarily mental illness but you know it's still impacting on your mental capacity and overall well-being absolutely I think a lot of people underestimate um how how different experiences whether it's work stress school or just interactions with people that can all contribute and for some people it will it could be something very obvious like a really big traumatic event like maybe a mm. car accident or it could just be repetitive bullying or being picked at or mm. you know do you see what I mean or microaggressions little things like that can slowly chip 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 away at your resilience and your your peace of mind 
Absolutely. Um, yeah. Do you fact, see what work, I mean? Yeah, workplace bullying's a huge thing actually. I've had so many clients that have um had terrible experiences uh, and it mm. you know their mental health really really suffered because of workplace bullying. It's, it's really quite yeah, awful. It's very severe. And people mm. say, "Oh, it's just banter. That's how it is." And I'm like, and I remember when I was doing my orthopedic placement mm. and I don't know if you know this cliche of orthopedic surgeons like the <laughs> old boys club you know they're all rugby players mind you I didn't right. play rugby so I thought I'd fit in but it didn't work but the, the, <laughs> it was you know they would just come at each other all the time and be like aggressive but it was banter and I could feel myself almost becoming a bit like that not to fit in but because you had to to keep yeah. up yeah. um and I and I when I moved away from that placement I was like gosh that was exhausting why am I so mm. tired why am I so and it was probably that experience of being around and some, some, not all of them, but some of them are quite toxic. And um, yeah. it, 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 you know, it's, it's fast. Even that experience, people may not think that's a form of, um, that can affect your mental health in, in some ways. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was talking to someone about this, just giving the example, you know, imagine just going into work every day and just even if it was just one person that pulled a sour face every time mm. you came in, you would start feeling really <sighs> trepidatious about going in, wouldn't you? And that's just one person yeah. and it's easy to say, oh, just ignore them, you know, think of the rest. But then if you sit down for lunch and that person's there, it's that same nagging sense of, oh, no, what are they going to be like? And it's really it, it's a, a background stressor that really niggles away and makes you feel uncomfortable and it's absolutely and it's not something people should dismiss like you said some people said you know it's fine just manage it's not it's just that mm. one person but everyone copes with things differently yeah. um and some people it is that one person that's it it can push them over the edge or it can and it's so yeah I think it's important not to dismiss and to really like listen when people say they're experiencing you know absolutely. forms of bullying or or distress because sometimes you know that might you might be the first person they've spoken to about it um so yeah 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 really good point so the next true or trash question is therapy is a waste of time and money <laughs> whoa <laughs> wow a whole waste <laughs> yeah. um well i i'm biased so i would say trash <laughs> but i'll caveat it i'll caveat it because yes. i think a couple of things one is um you know private therapy is really expensive I'll be really honest like I really want to get therapy for myself but I'm like Jesus that's a lot of money to spend um and you know do I really need it and it's 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 a whole you know consideration um so I I understand that um yeah private therapy can be really really pricey Having said that, you know, um, IAP services, improving access to psychological therapy is available on the NHS for um, access one, um, anxiety disorders and depression. So, you know, yeah. it can be free. <laughs> um, so, yeah. I mean, it's a great initiative and it's a great thing that's kind of permeated. I think, you know, most areas now has an IAP service, although, of course, there are waiting times, but the waiting times yeah. are not a waste of time. <laughs> they're really no, valuable no. <laughs> um if you're gonna go i completely therapy. agree i completely agree and i think i think maybe going to talking about waste of time or waste of money maybe mm. it's worth discussing how i think some people might be looking for therapy in the wrong places yeah um i don't know what you think because i think some people 
you know, are desperate, they'll find someone or someone will recommend someone to go for therapy and they're not really qualified. Yeah. That, that might be a waste of time. That, that might be a waste of money if you're going to the wrong person. Yeah, and it, it is really difficult because we don't really get taught about what psychotherapy is um, mm. and, you know, what, what we're really looking for. And there are different things that people can look for in therapy, but it's really hard to understand you know even when you have a knowledge exactly what would be the best approach so I think um you know psychotherapy itself is a broad term it just describes any type of talking therapy um, and there are different modes of it so there's cognitive behavioral therapy which is the most evidence-based um really for most things um, and then there's kind of cognitive analytic therapy which is a bit more long-term and mm-hmm. it's also looking at looking at perceptions and the role of the past and how you um, think about things and your um, general kind of um, yeah life experiences that have caused you to have Mm. these cognitive tendencies it's it's really interesting it's kind of like a mix between cognitive behavioral therapy and psychodynamic therapy which is the more um, interpretive therapy I suppose Ah. more explorative and um, I, I don't know I, I cautiously say less evidence-based <laughs> but again you know yeah, I don't no. have <laughs> I'm, I don't have um, huge amounts of training um, and I, I also yeah. have quite negative experiences because I think psychodynamic is one of those ones where people can um, I suppose present themselves as psychodynamic um, therapists and there's a lot of leeway in how it's applied um for I think it can potentially do a lot of harm for people um and not psychodynamic therapy itself necessarily but it depends what it's been for so for long-term conditions you know the, the the premise of psychodynamic therapy is that there's unexplored kind of um experiences and beliefs and uh, unconscious processes um that yeah. get processed in order to and, and so the therapy is trying to find what those are explore them bring them to the surface and process them which in itself can be really really useful and so so helpful mm-hmm. for people but it's yeah it, the, the difficulty lies when it becomes something like it it, it can create a culture of self-blame within the therapy room finding your little black box yet and there must be something and why aren't you finding it and you know it's not but it can be implicit you know I've had some patients with long-term conditions that are quote-unquote medically unexplained so there's not an organic cause that they've found Mm -hmm. and um yeah they've been for years of psychodynamic psychotherapy and again I don't know the exact qualifications of the people they went to so it could just be that yeah was hijacked by some people and there's that in every field really but um it's been really difficult for them then I think I think that's so important to highlight I think for me it's one of those things that as a medic we're not taught too much too much of this in detail mm-hmm. um but for, for my understanding would be I would be very very cautious number one who you're going to for mm-hmm. to for this because like you said it can it can leave you feel you don't want to be you're, you're the you don't want to be left to feeling that you're to blame for everything mm-hmm. and some people might take that as like you said um home when they're going through this kind of therapy um it, it might be implied and if you have the right therapist or the directing the therapy then I think that might help mitigate that it can help control that a little bit better 
Um, but I, with with anything, I think you need you need someone who's qualified, someone who's experienced, and quite knowledgeable about it. And please don't just be finding anyone off the net and just be like, yeah, he looks good, so and so. Yeah, absolutely. I mean. Yeah, it, it, it can be really um, unhelpful to people. I think it is, you know, a first step I would recommend is actually looking at what kind of psychotherapeutic approach appeals to you. It might be psychodynamic and then look yeah. up the re- the accrediting body for psychodynamic psychotherapists and, you know, call a few and see how you gel. Or it might be, you know, um, more you want to have a more hands-on approach in therapy and be more collaborative and understand the treatment model and then cbt might be a better model and then you you would go to the babcp which is the main accrediting body for cbt therapists and there'd be a register there so it's kind of finding which approach and then looking at the the accrediting body and seeing who's registered on there rather than a kind of find a therapist website where people can put all sorts of things in as well and um yeah it looks really impressive but that actually might have just been a certificate that they got in a day's course um oh absolutely (laughs) and and I think I don't know if this would be a welcome suggestion but if you're not sure how to start and how to look for all these websites and um it it might be worth having a booking a telephone um appointment with a GP just to discuss some of these because they may I don't know they might be able to be able to direct you um to these kind of websites um I don't know what your thoughts are yeah absolutely it's it's always worthwhile chatting with your your GP I think um and you know again that varies um in terms of their their knowledge but usually there'll be somebody within the service as well that might have a particular within the surgery rather that might have a particular mental health focus and you can always make inquiries and say which one will be the best one to speak to um to discuss that exactly exactly Let's go to this one. So uh, my mother doesn't need therapy. She just feels depressed because of her COPD and um, true or trash. (laughs) Again, trash, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I don't know. I don't want to trash all of them. (laughs) But no, no, no. I'll have some that aren't all trash. Don't worry. (laughs) I think, um, yeah, I think depression can come hand in hand with a lot of health conditions COPD um you know included but that doesn't mean that going to therapy wouldn't be beneficial for helping manage the the low mood that comes with having a long-term condition and adjusting Mm. to it a bit more adaptively so that actually the the mental health impact is mitigated you you know not everyone with COPD has to be depressed so we you know in in for example a CBT based approach we can find ways that are gonna um you know interrupt a vicious cycle between the depression and the COPD absolutely and I think it's something that we'll talk about a bit later on when we talk Mm. about uh, mental health and then therapy related to long-term conditions but I definitely remember a case where I had a a patient um, and the son who's so lovely brought his mother in and she just was very overwhelmed with her COPD because she had to carry her oxygen with Mm. her everywhere and she'd previously been very independent ran a carpet business or something and um, had to let that go because her health was just deteriorating and Mm. she she he knew that she was really low really like depressed and wanted something to happen and I managed to have a conversation with her and we discussed treatment you know we discussed like just going through the process um 
you know, discussing her feelings and then just thought, you know, we, we don't have to do it right now, but we can maybe consider medication or therapy. After a few, luckily for me, I had time because I was a F2. So I had about half an hour appointment. So we had, we, we built up such a lovely rapport. And I think after a few um, appointments, we did start her on some medication and she did actually feel better. Um, mm. And that's one of those precious moments as a medic where you feel like, oh my God, I actually have helped this person. In some yeah. way. <laughs> because it doesn't nice happen all the time. But, <laughs> yeah. Oh, like I will never forget the son's face. He was literally in, almost in tears because like, I've, I've literally... My, she's so much happier and when we talked about it it's like do you see how like, you know it was worth having a go it was worth considering um and she's like yeah I just never thought of myself that kind of person um, oh yeah and it's like you said we don't we you don't you know I was like yes I've done something great but then more more importantly we don't realize we don't really talk about this often enough I don't think people are aware of this but people with long-term conditions it does have you know they'll, they'll be so focused on the disease and how it's the long you know mm. what's going to happen and all that stuff but it can affect how your your mood you can make you either super super anxious or it can cause you to have depression or you you know there's lots of it can it does have an impact um mm. and it's not something to be dismissed but um yeah absolutely there's anxiety and depression for some people it will be but it might be more you know understandable distress related to having a long-term condition you know like you say there's a lot to be anxious about maybe and you know there are things that are going to impact on your mood because you can't do what you used to be able Mm. to do or you're feeling restricted in diet choices or you know social you know activities or whatever it might be so I don't think it, it perhaps is helpful sometimes to label those things as anxiety, depression, although there is that that comorbidity that exists. Sometimes it's just adjusting and that presents as yeah. though people are anxious and depressed, but it's yeah. just, uh, yeah, understandable kind of distress related to their condition. Absolutely, absolutely. Especially with people who, like my, my example, who had been like mm. super independent, run her own business, and now she's completely, you know, that's not, not completely gone, but it's having yeah. that change when you've been so used to seeing yourself in a certain way is um, super, it, you know, it can have effect, it can affect you, you know, you, um, and, um, um, and I think it's really important to like recognize that and to consider that. Um, but um, okay. So my final one, mm-hmm. uh, true or trash question. Um, it's possible to prevent mental illness. It's possible. True or trash. Um, yeah, it's possible. Yeah, true. Absol- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but like how like it's hard because like people want to know like yeah. how do I prevent? Like what do I do? What would you what would you say to the what would The you first say thing people? I'd say is kind of separate out the the concept of kind of um mood fluctuations from mental illness because I think it's so normal for our mood to fluctuate and one of the big things you know with this pandemic is people perhaps being very hard on themselves because they're they're not able to pick their mood up um and actually it's quite understandable that sometimes your mood's just going to be lower or you're going to feel less motivated or you're going to start feeling a bit anxious that's not a sign of any grave mental health um problems or mental illness that's just your mood fluctuating because of the situation so I think um yeah allowing yourself giving yourself permission for your mood to fluctuate and and not interpreting over interpreting that is is one thing and I think then in terms of kind of looking after your mood so that doesn't then spiral into a more persistent mental health problem um 
you know all mm-hmm. of all of the basics like routine you know a good sleep wake cycle mm-hmm. as much as you can um you know including exercise and that doesn't have to be real high intensity interval training that can be you know just getting out and yeah. having a brisk walk or whatever it might be gardening um yeah having a healthy diet just generally you know having some vegetables yeah. <laughs> and nurturing your body um but also a big thing yeah. I think is social connection you know making sure you are socially connected yeah. and you have got people to talk to and sometimes that's readily available for you and sometimes you feel really isolated and it's okay to adapt in you know in particular situations you know when women have babies for example they might not want to turn to their friend's who don't have babies to talk about things because it will feel more isolating in a way. So then they, mm-hmm. you know, find other friends who have just mm-hmm. had babies in their um, prenatal classes or whatever they, they do. <laughs> if not. Sure, um, that's and it's the point. same, you yeah. know, if, if you're starting to feel your mood slip and other people aren't in the same place, finding networks that you can talk openly about how you're feeling and feel supported is going to be real, real help. Absolutely. And I think all of that will help build resilience and confidence. And and I think you made such a good point. We need to give Mm. ourselves a break. Like this is a tough, this year has been tough. tough. It's not normal. I don't know about you. I'm obsessed with this restaurant called Basaba. Um, eat Thai and they're like oh, yes. no. first world problem. I miss <laughs> yeah. going. It's true. I but miss we had going. that lapse in between the lockdowns like, and we ate outside. I was like, uh, this is like heaven. <laughs> I not appreciated this. So you know, I didn't know how to be I didn't know how to behave. <laughs> I was just like and I think it's I, I I've been going to Basaba. I should de- they should definitely be paying me this, but they won't. But I've been going to Basaba for like ten years. I've and I've I've got a relationship with one of the one of the mm. managers there. And when he he saw me and I literally was like, I wanna hug you, but I think that's inappropriate. <laughs> it's not normal. I know, I'm usually going at least once mm. a month or with friends. You know, all of that has been taken away from us and we've been robbed. And I think it's we had to because we had to be sensible and, you know, protect mm. ourselves um but like honestly everyone this year needs to like really allow themselves give them permission but like it's okay to have your moods fluctuate because we've been this is a very abnormal year um and to to do stuff to give us we should definitely welcome and encourage people to do stuff to improve their self-care um just to do you know even if it's something very small and or lift anything and to maintain Mm. those social connections yeah absolutely I think it's super yeah that goes to another trash statement which is self-care is selfish I I get that a lot in my therapy room yeah really yeah it's not it's what people do I mean they don't the interesting thing is that only applies to themselves so if they see other people giving themselves self-care they're like Mm. go them but to them they're like oh I couldn't do that because that means I'm not prioritizing this and I'm not prioritizing that and I couldn't possibly it's so so it's yeah, really interesting but it's actually yeah. a really tough thing to shift it takes quite a while to to ease up on that <laughs> oh I completely agree I completely and I think it's a cultural mm. thing and an age thing as well I know um 
I always talk about family and stuff, but I know with my with my mum, I've had to push yeah. her. I'm like, mum, buy the bag, <laughs> just do it. And she's like, no, I've got to think about this and I've got to think about that. No. And I'm like, do it. And over the over the over the years, she's called me and be like, I bought the bag or I bought this. And I'm like so <laughs> proud of her because, you know, it's like those little, you know, you need to do something yeah. for yourself. Like, you know, I think um, uh, mothers, fathers, parents, you know, people who are in a position where they're looking, have huge amounts of responsibility, um, whether it's family here or abroad, um, they kind of feel guilty yeah. anytime they don't, they're not prioritizing other people. But what they don't realize is if you don't look after yourself, just like you're when you're on a plane, you need to look, you need to put your, your oxygen mask on your on yourself first before yeah. you go and out and do that to anyone else on the plane. And I think that's that's really important um, uh, takeaway, I think, and I, I for, for anyone. Yeah, I think that's a, just a good phrase to come back to and think of it like that over and over again. So let's talk about. So we touched upon psycho um, forms of psychotherapy, and did we talk about CBT? I think it'd be important mm. to talk about you know op, you know options in therapy. So if people want to have an idea of what 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 they can do, um, you suggest some great places for them to look. But can we talk about yeah. that in a bit more detail? Let's start with CBT. Yeah. So CBT it stands for cognitive behavioral therapy. So the this therapy approach is kind of recommended a lot and nice guidelines and um, it's on the NHS website everywhere mainly because mm. it's got so much kind of rigorous um, evidence supporting its efficacy and loads of different kind of clinical populations so depression anxiety disorders um, long-term conditions and I guess um, you know overall the model of CBT is the the kind of understanding that in any given situation and experience we have interacting um yeah parts of that experience so we have our thoughts about it we have our emotions we have the physical sensations that come with mm. that and we also have our behavioral responses and it's not to say any one of those uh, factors cause or maintain the experience so for example of depression but actually that they're working together to maintain mm -hmm. it so if I'm yes. feeling low, um, maybe because, you know, <laughs> this year has been tough and, you know, I've been made redundant and, you know, my partner's having issues too. And so there's a lot of strain. So my mood's yeah. low. Um, I'm feeling less motivated. I'm feeling more tired. I'm feeling more anxious. Um, then I'm going to be having mm. thoughts about that experience too. You know, why, why can't I just pick myself up what am I going to do what what if it's days like yeah. this forever and so we know that these kind of mental mm -hmm. narratives serve to make us feel worse you know then they're definitely not oh, definitely. Um, optimistic thoughts so we're going to feel more anxious we're going to feel lower we're going to have less energy you know if we think about it physically it might keep us up awake uh, you know up at night um getting less sleep or sleeping in then yeah. to the day and then we feel worse because our rhythm's all out of whack and then you know thinking about how that then feeds into our responses we might try and do what we think is problem solving but we're actually just engaging in a lot of negative thoughts about everything which is so automatic so we kind of sit there mm. ruminating on all of this that's going on and under this kind of impression that we're trying to get ourselves out of it but actually we just find ourselves trapped in thought circles and then we might be withdrawing and not seeing people. Mm. So together, all these factors are keeping us stuck in this situation. Um, and, and CBT is really about understanding what those cycles are for 
people individually yes. and that will vary across people of course there'll be common themes and and with the therapist collaboratively looking and experimenting with how can we break that cycle and usually we start with you know I say easier things but it's not necessarily easy just the more basic things that we have access to so our behavioral responses yeah. setting routines um introducing self-care behaviors that kind of yeah. stuff and once we see that that's got a bit of traction and maybe the mood's not you know down at a zero out of ten maybe it's gone up to a four out of ten or whatever we can start looking at some of these difficult thoughts and perhaps delve a bit deeper and understand some of the the kind of stickier things that are keeping us trapped there and, and we'll start working on those things and emotion yeah. regulation so that's the the basic premise you've ex- yeah you've ex- the basics yeah you explained it so, so well and i think it's important to highlight that it's it's recognizing those thought patterns aren't mm. helpful and can cause you to almost spiral in, in a way um and it's um I, th- I think it's a fascinating it's a fascinating form of therapy um I've also heard a lot of people talk about um mindfulness mm. as well um if that's something that you you suggest or you talk about with with, with clients and patients yeah or... absolutely so um mindfulness is kind of what's called a third wave um CBT approach so I guess the difficulty mm. with mindfulness is there's more gray area because it's not regulated. So to yeah. provide CBT, you um, should be accredited by the British Association of Behavioural and Cognitive Psychotherapists, so the BABCP. But mindfulness, there's not really um, a accrediting body that they've started to develop one and I, I completely forgot the name wow. of it, but it's it doesn't have as much regulation or sway at the <laughs> moment. So, you know, theoretically, um, a massage therapist okay. could could go and do a, a mindfulness retreat and call themselves a mindfulness teacher. So, um, yeah, it, it, it th- there's a bit more grey area. So it's worthwhile kind of being a bit more rigorous when you're checking out if you're going to see someone for mindfulness. Yeah. But it depends what you're going for. Lots of people that don't have depression, anxiety, um, but just generally want to to kind of yeah enhance their well-being and deal with kind of general stresses might go and do a mindfulness course with somebody and mindfulness really is Mm. I mean yeah it's a a whole Pandora's box when I talk about mindfulness I find it yeah (laughs) I love I love it and I'm a big fan of it I use it myself personally um, and I teach it but um yeah, there's so many ways you can go with it. I guess, uh, you know, it originated from um, a guy called John Kabat-Zinn, who was, I think he was a microbiologist. Yeah. And he um, was based in a pain clinic in the US and was seeing a lot of patients with chronic pain who couldn't be helped anymore by medicine. They just weren't getting any more results. And he was a practicing Buddhist. And he thought, well, a lot of the things that I practice would actually be helpful to these people, you know, take the religion out of it. Um, But the kind of the process Mm. would be really helpful. So he developed um, mindfulness based stress reduction, uh, which is like an eight week course. And Mm. you go through different types of meditation and there's inquiry and those courses usually two hours and you do it in a group and the teacher kind of facilitates the exploration through um and then you come you know it's Mm -hmm. it's done in a really yeah a really neat way basically you're building cumulatively on um what you're kind of learning as you go through so it's in a really a real effective change um yeah yeah but 
yeah so so that and then he because he was a scientist he measured it and it got amazing results with people with chronic pain you know reducing anxiety depression even pain and that's been replicated in all sorts of clinical populations and then i think some cbt therapists um found it and then they um developed mindfulness-based cognitive therapy which was kind of merging cbt with mindfulness so they were seeing how kind of the traditional cbt model could be used um as a structure and kind of framework but then the the mindfulness kind of carries the process through so helping people to see that their thoughts are causing a lot of difficulty and finding a different way to relate to these thought processes um so I've done both kinds of training and and they're really you know they're amazing and and if you can go to a a, an, a mindfulness retreat or a mindfulness course um checking out the teacher and whatnot I would definitely recommend it but um, yeah. I think for also, therapy it depends um, mbct has real good yeah. evidence base for people with recurrent depression but you kind of want a mental health practitioner you know somebody that's um yeah, yeah. also got accreditation elsewhere to be delivering that rather than just yeah yeah someone who's my famous teacher fascinating mm. so but just just to just to, okay just to ask what are your thoughts with um combination of therapy and like or uh, over the counter medi- no, over the counter <laughs> over the counter medication sorry what are your thoughts on um uh combination therapy so you have you're going for you have therapy you also but you're also yeah. medication do you, i think some patients have that some people find that quite mm. useful um some people think it's an overkill what what are your thoughts I on mean, that i mean i think you know it's a case by case basis you know there's been lots of mm. my clients that have said well i want to try cbt before I, I try medication and they've done really well in therapy and they didn't need mm-hmm. medication and then i've had um Wonderful. other people that um have been on medication and done you know had cbt and done really well and then i've had people that have done cbt and not had medication and you know i've gently suggested actually it might be useful to go to your gp because for mm. example people with ocd where it just you know a big part of the therapy in in cbt for ocd is exposing yourself to the feared thing um and you know going through a process it's not just exposure there's you know different elements to it but that's really scary and we're trying we're trying to encourage you not to engage in all of your usual coping behaviors if your anxiety is at like 95 percent 100 percent when you're doing some of these activities you're gonna need something to pull that down a little bit so it's bearable yeah absolutely so um i think yeah gauge it basically see where see where you're at discuss it with your gp and discuss it with your therapist and see you know you can always you can always switch course as well you know you could um start during therapy but usually we would like people to either be on it when they start rather than start midway through just because it does perhaps change things and people overinterpret um not let's know you know (laughs) yeah what's going on and yeah that can cause some difficulties yeah absolutely I think it's important and just to to that point I think it's also important um to recommend and to suggest if you are undergoing um therapy or privately or independently from it's so so important just to highlight this Mm. to your gp because at least he can keep he or she can like 
have it documented so they can know if the things aren't working out. And like you said, when, with patients who are really who really adamant and don't want to take medication, but they've come to the point where they actually probably just need need something to support mm. them. Um, and it may not need to be forever. It could just be for a short period yeah. of time. Um, it's you know it'd be, it's hard for the GP or your your healthcare prov- um, provider to gauge that if they have no idea what your what mm. therapy you're on. Yeah, you know I think it's really important for that to be transparent and just to say look this is what I'm doing um I I find this is useful or or actually I'm not now I'm not coping you know that that I think that's really important yeah absolutely um to 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 suggest I think definitely yeah cool I have Mm. one more question I know um actually one area I wanted to touch up on I think this is um especially for people from cultural backgrounds who you know it's a challenge actually it doesn't really matter to be honest I've I think it's always a challenge sometimes to get encouraged people who I think Mm. need therapy or treatment I mean um therapy or medication how how do you how would you go about what kind of tips would you would you give to these people if they they know someone either a family member or someone at work and you just think I think this person probably needs some support or some kind of help how would you um what kind of tips mm. would you give that that person to um yeah yeah how would you encourage them because it's tricky yeah. but um they might they, you might have some yeah. tips I think you know the first thing to acknowledge is before you dive in and suggest it um just understanding that that can be a a real threatening thing to someone because to them that might mean oh you think I'm failing or I can't you know cope with this on my own um and yeah, yeah that can be really upsetting and distressing and it can also then entrench people in their position um (laughs) <laughs> to, to oh, not yeah. do it and you know especially in <laughs> family relationships if your daughter or your son tells you to do something oh, God, maybe yeah. you're less inclined or or if your parents are so um yeah so I think just a good rule of thumb is not necessarily telling people what they should but helping them to explore yeah. what their situation is so you know reflecting back you've been feeling yeah. really down lately and um you know how are you finding that and helping them to kind of open up and process and say oh yeah no I have been and I have been finding it really difficult and you know have you have you found anything that's helped at all or are you you thinking that there's nothing Mm. that's really helping um and so that they have the process to reflect with you and then maybe you know you can gauge it to gently suggest well you know there are options that we can check out that might be useful to you to to improve how you're feeling um and again you can gauge that maybe you start to see people clamp down Um, and if you do I think again Mm -hmm. it is about what would the benefits be of um seeking help for this and helping that you know so you're asking that Mm -hmm. question so that the person themselves has to reflect and come up with the answers because we're more likely to follow our Mm. own advice if we've kind of come up with it essentially um and if we've really entertained it and it's not I I don't think it's you know just people (laughs) being cantankerous and not wanting to to follow advice but it's just like I said, I think yeah. it really comes out of feeling threatened um, and these yeah, automatic absolutely. kind of walls that come up. Whereas if somebody explores it um, with you and gives you a chance to to think, actually, what would that be for me and how would I go about that? Um, then they, they might be more likely to, yeah, to, to explore those avenues. And also, I think the other thing 
to, to recognize is it doesn't have to be you're not on a sales call so you don't have to get them you don't have to close in, in that one interaction yeah exactly. <laughs> I like that exactly you don't have to, I love that it's not sales no no no. that's so true and, and you don't and also don't feel like you failed because I feel like a lot of people mm. want to know what they can do to yeah. help and they think it's a fast, quick solution. Mm. But even you, you're, you know, even suggesting and talking about it, if you do it the right way, you are yeah. helping. Um, and if you go go about it um, in a way that you're getting them to talk about it and they're opening up, just gauge and see how much how how they how they feel about talking about it with you. They may not want to continue the conversation, but at least yeah. you started and maybe you've got Absolutely. them thinking. Um, but yeah, you have to be careful because you don't want them to feel like threatened and even if you get that reaction that's yeah. that's fine because it's it's I, I still feel like it's worth trying just being but you have yeah, to yeah it, it, it definitely <laughs> is worth trying I think my um partner's mum just popped into my head because I remember one time she was saying how she manages um, my partner's dad <laughs> and she was like I just said oh, yeah. once and then he immediately says no and then I'll leave it and I'll say it again a couple of weeks later and then he'll think about it and then a couple of weeks later he'll come back to me and it'll be his idea <laughs> and I was like that's great I love that I love great that wisdom. no no absolutely absolutely for yeah. everything for everything I might use that with my husband <laughs> It was your idea, huh? Yeah, you said, no. No, but honestly, I think it's it's all about working yeah. together with the person. And if you are worried, um, it's just worth just talking and being, but you have to, like you said, you have to be careful, have to be, and not to get frustrated. I feel yeah. like people want, people are impatient. They, are. they want, they're like, oh, this person is super, she's, she, she, or she, he or she used to be super confident. What's happened? Let's get, let's, can't she yeah. snap out of it? Okay, tell me, how can I fix this? You can't no, fix it quickly. Not. This is not something you fix quickly. Just like a stroke, yeah, just like yeah. diabetes. Well, it's not like diabetes, yeah. But you know, it doesn't. It's not. It's not something that you should expect things to Absolutely. happen overnight. Um, you have to, and it requires patience. I think, yeah. which is hard. Patience and, and normalizing um, as well. I think if you can kind of say, "Oh, such yeah. and such is dad actually has just gone on um, antidepressants. You know, he's feeling a lot better," or you know, just make make it feel a bit more normal. <laughs> um, then, then people will oh, be definitely. feeling it is. Um, yeah. The, the number of stories I've had with my mum and some stories she's told me about people she knows, I'm like, yeah, that person probably yeah. needs some <laughs> <Yeah>. help. <laughs> and you're like... And, and the thing is, they yeah. won't recognise it because like, we, there's such a taboo in certain yeah. cultures and backgrounds. Um, but, you know, you know, you can when you hear some of these stories, you can clearly hear, okay, that person has gone through some post-traumatic stress because they were you know they grew up in the civil war or something and they never really they never went you know they never recovered or they never got to deal with those problems um because it was not culturally like you couldn't do that like you know what I mean so it's um it's really really tough and I think the sooner we normalize it for um not just our age group or generation but um people who are a bit older who I think is it is more of a challenge the better um but yeah yeah. Awesome. Oh, yeah, so much too. fun. Yeah, I could chat about these things for hours. This has been so good. <laughs> ah. Honestly, this has been so so useful. Um, I think it'll be great if you can send me some of those uh yeah. links so that I can Absolutely. share on the when I repost it and stuff. But is there anything else that you wanted to say just to to finish up or any kind of suggestions? Um, 
you'd have regarding therapy? I think, um, well, one thing that came into my head as well, the, the other thing about, you know, therapy for long-term conditions was, um, yeah. I guess, a, another trash statement I'm coming up with. But the, the most common thing that I hear is, um, you know, they said it, they said it was all in my head or oh they think it's all in my head so if somebody's presenting with a long-term condition and um, whether it's got an organic you know observable basis or whether it's one of those ones where they can't really find out what's going on um people often yeah. feel like when therapy suggested it's because you know they, people think they're making it up or something yeah. like that um, and sometimes you know that's because of really it, unhelpful interactions they've had with healthcare practitioners or other people Mm. but other times I think it's just the inherent message of well therapy could be useful and and people just automatically have that you know thought that's what it means and again it's just about that threat because there's this assumption that they're failing Mm. you know personally they might feel like that and then they feel like it's being um you know confirmed when somebody says that so I think I think yeah it's just addressing that narrative which is is not the case at all we know that you know health is a complicated interacting um whole experience right so if if we can support somebody yeah. from the perspective of their psychological well-being oftentimes you find that actually symptoms either improve or they don't impact as much um so it's not yeah. a case that we're saying that you're your symptoms are in your head or you've made them up or you're um yeah being a hypochondriacal it's more the case that actually they're really Mm. difficult and you need support managing that because it's all overwhelming um yeah 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 oh I I completely agree and I'm I'm so I'm I'm fascinated that this is something you're you're working in and I I even remember in my surgical days the number of times I've seen patients with long-term conditions you know repeated operations Mm. and I'm thinking I don't know how they're coping with all of this um what I wish you know I think there's possibly um not possibly there's probably definitely Mm. a demand for uh options for patients who are going through all of this um and therapy might be useful I you know because it's um especially with the complex operations and you know things things not working out or things are working out it's it it does take a toll I mean I wasn't even the patient I just felt I'm very very emotive empathic so I'm just like oh how is this patient dealing with everything um and I think therapy could have probably played a huge role and maybe that could be um an avenue people are thinking about in surgery incorporating that as as part of the follow-up or or part of the the overall plan yeah Um, that would be amazing because it I I I I think that would be really, yeah. really amazing. But um, oh, maybe another Yeah, another day. <laughs> we can work on that. <laughs> but yeah, oh, honestly, this has been so good. Thank you Thank so you. much, Sina. I think this has been really useful. Oh, I'm glad to hear it. Thank you so much for listening to Debunking Medical Myths. I hope you've learned something new. Don't forget to share and subscribe and get in touch via Instagram. I really love hearing from you. Take care and I look forward to having you join me for another episode of Debunking Medical Myths. Mm